Let's give our attention to Psalm 51. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love. According to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, you delight in truth in the inward being, and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins, and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence, and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation, and uphold me with a willing spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your way, and sinners will return to you. Deliver me from blood guiltlessness, O God. O God of my salvation and my tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips, and my mouth will declare your praise. For you will not delight in sacrifice, or I would give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. O God, you will not despise. Do good to Zion in your good pleasure. Build up the walls of Jerusalem. Then will you delight in right sacrifices, in burnt offerings and whole burnt offerings. Then bulls will be offered on your altar. All men are like grass, and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall. But the word of our God stands forever. Our gospel lesson this morning comes from Luke uh, chapter 7, verses 36 through 50. One of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him. And he went into the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. And behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment, and standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears, and wiped them with her hair of her head, and kissed his feet, and anointed them with the ointment. Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is coming, who is touching him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus answering said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, Say it, teacher. A certain moneylender who had two debtors, one owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they, could not, when, they, when they could not pay it, he canceled the debt of both. Now which of them would love him more? Simon answered, The one, I suppose, from whom he canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, You have judged rightly. And then turning to the woman, he said, Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet. But she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, 
But from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little loves little. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Then those who were at the table began to say among themselves, who is this? who even forgives sins. And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Dear gracious Father, we just thank you that you are a God uh, who draws near to us, a God who, who cleanses us, a God who redeems us. And this morning as we look at this Psalm 51, as we look at this well-known Psalm, about David's guilt and about his shame. May we uh, know that you are the God that we can go to with our guilt and our shame. That you would restore us, that you would cleanse us, uh, and that you would make our bones to dance again, to sing of your glory and of your honor. And we pray all this in your great and wonderful name. Amen. Uh, Good morning. Talk back. Awesome. Um, Again, if the rumor is true, my name is Tommy Park. Uh, I'm the RUF campus minister with Reformed University Fellowship uh, at the great campus of UNF here in Jacksonville. Um, It's great to be here. Uh, It's always great to be here at Christchurch Mandarin. Uh, If you don't know, this is kind of home for me and my wife. Uh, We started our family at this church uh, before Christchurch East, uh, and it's always a great honor and joy to be back here, uh, to see uh, good friends, uh, and just to be here in this building. And I also want to say thank you for your faithful support. Uh, you're, this church, uh, you guys have supported us from the very beginning. Uh, me and Nikki are starting our 10th year uh, on the campus of UNF here uh, in the fall. And we just thank you for your support, uh, your encouragement, uh, and your prayers. Uh, you do a great job of loving us uh, with your monthly support and your prayers, um, but also in, in unique ways. Um, and one example is your Christmas Eve offering that you do each year for the, for the missionaries. Uh, uh, it's, a great, uh, it's great to be loved that way. Uh, it's great to get a check after Christmas um, to spend on whatever I want. And so, thank you. Um, and again, just pray for us as we start another year this fall. Uh, as we reach students for Christ, uh, as we reach the next generation, uh, as we reach uh, many students, uh, more and more uh, I meet students who've never met a pastor. Uh, More and more I meet students who've never been into church. More and more I meet students who have never even read the Bible. Um, And so pray, pray for us that we would reach this generation that's lost and hurting and trapped in their sin and their misery. So this morning, uh, Chuck asked me to kick off this summer series to the Psalms, uh, and there's nothing like getting Psalm 51 uh, on July 4th weekend. And so I say thank you, Chuck, uh, for that. Um, and so this whole summer, you guys are going to be looking through uh, the Psalms. Um, and John Stott wrote this about the, the Psalms. Uh, he says, The Psalter speaks the universal language of the soul. The book of the Psalms contains the whole music of the heart of man. 
Uh, echoing, echoing a phrase used by Athanasius and later by Calvin, it is a mirror in which each man sees the motions of his own soul. Its theology is rich and full. It reveals a God who is both the creator of the world and the redeemer of his people. And so this morning, we're going to see how truly rich and full the Psalms are as we look at Psalm 51. And before we do, but before we look at this well-known Psalm, uh, we actually prayed it in our time of confession. Uh, many of us have read it over and over and over again. Uh, I just want to point out a couple things for us to think about as we study this well-known passage. Uh, the backdrop of Psalm 51 is 2 Samuel chapters 11 and 12. Uh, and 2 Samuel 11 is the narrative of David of having adultery with Bathsheba and the plan and execution of killing Uriah. And 2 Samuel 12 is this narrative of God sending the prophet Nathan to confront King David. Imagine that. Imagine you being the one to be sent to confront the king. I mean, just imagine confronting anybody's sin, anybody's misery, anybody's guilt, anybody's shame. But here Nathan is called and sent by God, the creator of the world, to go to David and to give him this message. And there we see this powerful narrative. And I want us to take note of a couple things. First, when we look back at 2 Samuel 12 and look at the narrative of Nathan rebuking David over his sins of adultery and murder, we notice that in public he repents and only uses four words in English and two in Hebrew. I have sinned against the Lord. But in private... He writes this, this psalm, he, he, he writes a poem, and he puts it in the music. He puts it in music in a way that the whole church would sing of his glory. I mean, just imagine one day that Chuck would list out in all his sins, uh, all his miseries, and then gives it a Meredith to sing the next Sunday morning. Um, it's a remarkable imagery that we get here from David. Second, if I was going to ask you, what was David's greatest victory? Most of you, including myself, would say Goliath is David's greatest victory. But this morning after my study, I want to make the argument that Psalm 51 is David's greatest victory. Over his own trespass, over his own guilt, David facing his guilt and his shame is David's greatest victory. And lastly, the context of this psalm. As we listen to, to how this narrative begins in Psalm chapter 11, um, the Bible is so rich and powerful that often we miss it. These little nuances that actually tells us something that happens before the, the real action happens. Listen to how this whole, this whole narrative, this whole passage begins in 2 Samuel 11, verse 1. It says this, In the spring of the year, the time when kings go out to battle. David sent Joab and his servants with him and all of Israel, and they ravaged the, the Amorites and they besieged the Rehoboam. But David remained at Jerusalem. We see in this opening verse of 2 Samuel 11 that David did his best to avoid the battlefield. But the irony is this, is that we see the battlefield came to David. We see in this passage with Psalm 51 that there was a battle going on in David's soul. 
And David was trying to stay away from the warfare, but the warfare found David in a whole different way. So this morning, I want us to consider what God wants us to know and to feel as we enter our battle over our own guilt or over our own shame or over our own seeking of forgiveness. We often deal with our shame and our guilt only in part. Uh, it reminds me of this, uh, this article I read uh, about this man uh, writing a letter to the IRS. Uh, it says this. Uh, this man says, Dear IRS, uh, I've had some trouble sleeping in part uh, because I think I l- because I left some of my income off my taxes. Um, here's a check for $150. If I continue to have trouble sleeping, I will send you the rest. <laughs> Thanks. See, we are often like this man. We often try to deal with our guilt and our shame only in part. But this psalm shows us that God comes to us to take care of our guilt and our shame fully so that we can fully rest. The question, uh, one question that I talk to college students often is this question. Where do I go with my guilt? Where do I go in my shame? And this question is a question I often ask myself as well. Where do I go? Uh, And this morning, David reminds us that the only place we can go is the God Almighty, the one who has made all things, the one who is making, who is holding all things together, and the one who will come to make all things right. So the question before us this morning is this, where do we go with our guilt? And how do we pray through our guilt and our shame? First, we listen and respond to the pursuit of God. Uh, First, we see that David listened and respond to the very pursuit of God, um, the Word of God, in the midst of his guilt. Uh, in Psalm 51, there's a little prescript right before the passage of verse 1, and it, it tells us, kind of gives us the context that, um, that this was to the choir master, uh, a psalm of David when, when Nathan the prophet went to him after he had, had gone into Bathsheba. And then again, we see that narrative there in 2 Samuel chapter 12 where it describes that the Lord sent Nathan to David. And the great wonder of God is that is this, is that from the very beginning of the biblical story, we see that we have a God who pursues his people, especially after failure, after his people fall short, after sinning against God himself, God seeks after them. I mean, we see it from the very beginning. We see it in Genesis 3 where, where God goes after Adam and Eve with a pastor's, with a, a shepherd's heart. I mean, he goes with the two questions. You know, who, who told you you were naked? Uh, you know, why are you hiding? He seeks after them. Uh, we see it with Abraham. Uh, we see it with Moses. Uh, we see it in the great story of the prophet Jonah. We see it with even Jesus seeking after Peter there in the Gospels when Peter, um, the rock, had fallen. And even the Apostle Paul, we, we know his story in the book of Acts of God seeking after Saul, who will later become Paul. Our God is one who pursues and seeks after his people, especially in our guilt and our shame. 
Um, last week, uh, Chuck mentions that he reads the Confessions on vacation. Uh, so I thought I would pick it up this week. And so I saw in book four that St. Augustine said this. He said, for, for you, as he's praying, he says, for you, you are a God of vengeance as well as the fountain of mercy. You follow close behind the fugitive and recall us to yourself in ways we cannot understand. The reality is this, that our sin blinds us. It actually numbs us so much that we are just utterly lost. We are hopeless. And the good news of the gospel is that our God is a God who is a God of vengeance, but also a fountain of mercy. That our God follows close behind us. He follows close behind you and me to bring us back to him, to redeem us, to restore us, to cleanse us. So how does David respond in this pursuit? How does he respond of Nathan coming to him, of God sending Nathan and showing of his sin, of his guilt and his shame. And David responds in this pursuit by one, being personally bothered by his sin, and second, being precise with his sin. We see throughout Psalm 51 that David is personally bothered by his sin. David makes 18 requests throughout this psalm, mostly for cleansing and mostly to be restored. David is personally bothered by his sin. He wants to be cleansed. He wants his sins to be as white as snow. He wants them to be wiped away. Um, have you ever uh, been on a mission trip or been out in the country or been camping? Uh, before my RUF days, I used to spend twi- two, three times a year in the Dominican Republic. Um, and the one thing, and, and on trips like that, there's always one thing that you want when you get back home. I don't know about you, but the one thing I wanted most was just a good old shower. I was so bothered by the dirt. I was so bothered by feeling dirty. And I could not wait to get home to my shower to cleanse me, to wash me, to make me clean again. And here David is so bothered by his sin that he just wants to be cleansed. He just wants to jump into the only shower that would restore him, that would cleanse him, that would make him white as snow of God's grace and his mercy. But we see that here David was personally bothered by his sin, but he was also precise with his sin as well. We see here that David actually uses three different words to describe his guilt and his shame. David does not use describe his sin in vague ways, but very precise. And again, he uses three words to get the complexity of his sin, of his guilt, and of his shame. He uses the word transgression, iniquity, and sin. Look at verse 1. David writes, Blot out my transgression. And verse 3, For I know my transgression. And this word transgression basically means to, to cross the boundary. And clearly, David crossed the boundary by using his authority to take Bathsheba as his own, to use his authority to send Uriah to the front. 
to even as we, we read, to, to stay and not to be like a king that goes off the battle, but to stay in Jerusalem in his own comfort. That David crossed the boundary and he knew it. The second word that David uses here to describe his guilt is the word iniquity. Look at verse 2. It says, wash me through thoroughly from my iniquity. In verse 5, I was brought forth in iniquity. And basically this word, iniquity, means to distort or to twist. And what David is saying here is this. I took my power and I twisted it. I took my authority and I twisted it. I took human dignity and I twisted it. I took trust and friendship and I twisted it. I took sexuality and I twisted it. And David continues with his description of being precise with his guilt and his shame by using the word sin. Again, look at verse 2. He says, cleanse me from my sin. In verse 3, my sin is ever before me. Sin basically means to fall short or to miss the mark. And again, David here missed the mark big time. We see that David missed the mark by not going to war, by taking Bathsheba, who's not his own, and to send Uriah to his death. And after Nathan the prophet confronts David, David confesses his confession is radical and intense. I mean, as you read the psalm, as I read it over and over again, it became more and more intense. You could felt David knew what he had done. It was only because the very pursuit of God was on him. And David continues to confess this radically intense. Even in Psalm 51, verse 4, he says, Against you, God, and you only have I sinned. And we see here that every sin is against God himself that is overthrowing his rule and his authority to make it your very own. And we need to listen and respond as God pursues us in our sin and in our guilt and in our shame. The good news, again, of the gospel is that our God is one who pursues us, who seeks after us, who does not leave us alone. And the question I have for you this morning is this. Have you ever experienced the pursuit of God? Have you ever been bothered by your sin? And have you ever been precise with your sin as well? So first we see that David deals with his guilt and his shame by experiencing the very pursuit of God and responding to that pursuit. But second, we see that what David does, that he calls and relies on the very compassion and mercy of God. Notice the focus of David's appeal in verses 1 and 2. David only has one hope in his appeal, and that's to the living God, the covenant love of God, the very compassion of God. Again, listen to these words in verses 1 and 2. David writes, Be be gracious to me, O God, according to your loving kindness, according to the greatness of your compassion, brought brought out my transgression. See, if you were in David's shoes and you had been confronted with the words of Nathan, 
how would you have reacted? If you were in your own shoes and somebody has come to you to confront you in your own sin and your own guilt and your own shame, how do we often react? What would you have said? David could have said a lot about who he is, about the, being the king, the chosen one, the, the picked one, the one who slayed Goliath, the one who has won many victories. But here, there's only one appeal. He can only go to one place, and that's to the king of the universe, the one who had promise, who laid his own name down in his covenant, in his own loving kindness. He can only appeal to God who promised that he would never leave or forsake him, even in the midst of his guilt, even in the midst of his shame, that he could only go to God and base his appeal on God himself. Again, listen to verses 1 and 2. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy. And for you and for me to deal with our guilt and our shame, we need to call out for mercy. We need to call out for compassion to God and God alone. We need to call out to our covenant God, the one who, who gives us his loving kindness to come and to wash, to come and cleanse us, to come and wipe away our guilt and our shame. Again, listen to the ways that David calls out for God to come and cleanse and restore him. Verse 2, Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. Verse 7, Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Verse 9, Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. And verse 10, Create in me a clean heart, O God. Verse 12, Restore to me the joy of salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. And verse 14, Deliver me from blood guiltness, O God. O God of my salvation. I have one of those dads who can fix anything. Uh, he can fix my car. He can fix the AC. He actually built a living room, family room, in the back of our house. Um, he was one of those guys who was in the Navy for 30 years and literally could fix anything. Um, uh, he would fix all my stuff when I was a kid. Uh, he would fix my car. Uh, he would fix my brakes. And he would even fix... Uh, fix things when I got in trouble. Um, how much more should we go to our Heavenly Father to fix our ultimate problem, our sin problem? Our Heavenly Father is the only one that we can call to. We often go to other places to pay our guilt and our shame in part, but the only one who can pay it in full is, again, the God our covenant God, our, our King, our Lord, our Savior, the one who is full of mercy and compassion. And again, throughout the psalm, David asked that his sins would be blotted out. And this literally means to be wiped away, that the, the wrong would be wiped out of the book. That The reality is this, that sin creates a record, a debt, an offense against justice, and it calls for punishment and David calls out to the one and only to, that could pay off the debt. David is needing and wanting to be declared righteous. And only through Jesus 
are we able to be declared righteous? Listen to one of my favorite verses in 2 Corinthians 5.21. It says, For our sake, He, Jesus, uh, He, God, made Him, Jesus, to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. The only one we can cry to, the only one that we can to bring our guilt and our shame is Jesus. The one who knew no sin so that in him we might become the very righteousness of God. And again, a couple of questions for you is this. Have, have you ever cried out to God to cleanse you? To blot out your sins? To pay your debt? Have you ever called out to God to help you in your biggest problem? So how do we pray through our guilt and our shame? One, uh, we, we understand that our God is one who pursues us, who seeks after us, who, who never quits, especially for those who are trapped in their sin, their guilt, and their shame. But we also call out to the one, the only one that is full of compassion and mercy to fix our ultimate problem of guilt and shame. And lastly, the last thing that we do to pray through our guilt and our shame is to proclaim God's grace to others. The last way for us to fully deal with our guilt and our shame is to proclaim the grace and mercy of God to others in witness and in worship. Do you see what happens when God comes and cleans our hearts and changes us? Do you see that here in the psalm? We cannot keep our mouths closed. We cannot help but to speak about our Jesus, our Redeemer and our friend. Listen how David is restored in such a way that he wants to bring others to the shower, to this place of mercy, of grace. See, the gospel moves us from hiding to proclaiming. It's amazing. So we see the first thing here that we, that we proclaim God's grace, that David and us, uh, we are put back to witness. Verse 13, it says this. It says, Then I will teach transgressors your ways, and sinners will return to you. I mean, here is David in his, probably his most embarrassing moment of his life. But when the grace and mercy in God has grabbed a hold of him, and that he feels the very cleansing of God, that he writes the psalm so that others would come and taste and see that the Lord is good. Uh, Again, he is put back to worship. Then I will teach transgressors your way, and sinners will return to you. I mean, have you been touched by Christ in a way where you go from hiding to proclaiming the very good news of Jesus? The one who's paid it all the one who has cleansed you, the one who has wiped away your record. But David wasn't just put back to witness. He was also put back to worship. Listen to verses 14 and 15. It says this, Deliver me from your blood guiltness, O God, O God of my salvation. My tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips and my mouth will declare your praise. Again, 
often our sin and our guilt shuts our mouths. Only by the blood of Jesus can our mouths be reopened. Our guilt and our shame are the things that we keep secret. And only by the very cleansing and mercy and love of our God can He reopen our lips in such a way where we sing praises to our God and our King. And lastly, we see that David was not just put back to witness and he wasn't just put back to worship, but he also had a vision for the kingdom of God and not his kingdom. Look at verse 18. It says, Do good to Zion in your good pleasure. Build up the walls of Jerusalem. See, David here was no longer concerned about his own personal kingdom. He was ultimately concerned about the very kingdom of God. He longed for the walls to be built back up. He longed for, for his God to be glorified and honored throughout the whole earth. So this morning, as we look at Psalm 51, as we start this journey through the Psalms, my prayer is that, that, we, that this Psalm shows us and reminds us that we have one, Jesus, who have paid, paid it in full, not in part, so that we can fully rest. And we have this psalm this morning to remind us that we have a God who pursues us, who seeks after us, even in our guilt and our shame. Again, one of my favorite verses in Ephesians. Um, Our God pursues us even while we were his enemies. Christ dies for us. And finally, the psalm invites us and other transgressors, others who are in need of guilt and shame to be taken away, to come and to be part of His kingdom, to be a part of His worship, of His declaring His news, of His gospel to the very ends of the earth. Isn't it amazing to think that our God uses us, the same people who had our own mouths shut, of our own guilt and our shame. And that He comes to us in such a way to cleanse us, to restore us, to make us new, to declare us right, to shower us with His loving kindness where where it would open our mouths to tell others of this shower, to proclaim others of this God who restores us. And He invites us this morning. He invites us. He says, Come ye sinners, poor and wretched, weak and wounded, sick and sore. Jesus ready stands to save you, full of pity, joined with power. He is able. He is able. He is willing. Doubt no more. This morning, doubt no more that you have a Jesus who is ready to stand to save you, to wash you as white as snow. Let's pray. Dear Gracious Father, again, we come to you uh, as our God and our King. Uh, We are thankful that you are a God who pursues us, a God who seeks after us, that you seek after us in our guilt and our shame. You seek us when we are hiding and we have nothing to say. 
And you seek us in a way to restore us, to cleanse us, to make us whole again. That you actually use the, the sin in our lives to taste and see how good you truly are so that we would dance, so that we would rejoice, so that we would proclaim the very good news of the gospel. This morning, I pray that we would be reminded that the only place we can go to deal with our shame and our guilt is you and you alone. And with you, you pay it in full. You don't pay it in monthly payments. You don't pay it in part. But you pay it full through Jesus to redeem us, to restore us, to make us whole again. And that because of that good news, we can sing and dance uh, as we live in a, a world that's longing, a world of the already and not yet, that we can tell others, other transgressors your ways. We can tell other, our friends and our neighbors and our co-workers of the shower of mercy. We can tell them how bothered we were of how dirty we felt of our guilt and our shame. And we can tell them how good your shower of mercy and compassion is truly is. God, you're so good. We thank you for your word that's so powerful and rich. The, the, the details that you use a narrative like 2 Samuel 11 and 12 and, and the Psalms like Psalm 51 that teach us so much about you, so much about us and how much we need you. And that you're a God who, who longs for cleansing, that you long for all things to be made right. And it's, it's so good that you start with me. You start with us. We're thankful. And we just pray all this in your great and wonderful name. Amen.